test one two. Amen. Praise God. Good to see you all. Just not part of the sermon, but uh, just throw it out there. God's not given us a spirit of fear. Amen. And uh, what you're seeing with this whole COVID thing is actually a spirit of fear. And, uh, but that's a different sermon. Let's go to today's sermon. Amen. Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 8. Uh, Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 8. Um, according to legend, at some point while he was on the run during the winter of 1305 to 1306, uh, Robert the Bruce uh, hid in a cave on Ratlin Island on the north coast of Ireland. Where he observed, and the story goes, he observed the spider spinning a web, trying to make a connection from one side of the cave to the other, and the spider kept failing. And each time the spider failed, it simply started all over again. It did not give up. And the story goes, inspired by this, what he saw, uh, Robert the Bruce returned, and to inflict a series of defeat on the English, thus winning him more supporters and eventual victory. This man would eventually become one of Scotland's greatest kings. They've made many movies about him, as far as I know, as well as one of the most famous uh, warriors of his generation. Eventually, he would lead Scotland during the wars of Scottish independence against the Kingdom of England. Now, some scholars now say that this event didn't happen to Robert the Bruce. But rather they say this, this event happened to Willem Douglas or Black Douglas. Okay. One of the earls, which one of the main earls which supported Robert the Bruce. Very important man himself. So whether this event happened to Robert the Bruce or whether it happened to William Douglas, it doesn't really matter. Because what we can clearly see from this event, from what happened, what we can clearly see is that what we see can change history. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. That what we see has the ability to change us and in changing us have a larger impact on humanity and history. Yeah. Especially in moments of doubt, yeah. crisis, yeah. and so forth. COVID-19. <laughs> what we see is very important And this evening I'm going to preach on seeing God Out of Isaiah 6 verse 1 to 8 In the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting on a throne High and lifted up And the train of his robe filled the temple Above it stood seraphim Each one had six wings with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The post of the doors was shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Amen. So firstly, I want to look at seeing God. 
What we have in our text is not a, a first time encounter with God. Isaiah was already prophesying during the reign of King Uzziah in Isaiah 1. This man is not a new prophet, he's not a new minister. <coughs> but after Uzziah's death, but in that same year, that's what we are seeing in our text. This man has a, another powerful encounter with God. And in this encounter, he sees God not with the natural eye, but it was a seeing of the mind. It was a seeing of visions. It was a seeing of dreams. Numbers 12, verse 5 to 8. And the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and, Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Then he said, Hear now my words, if there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house, but I speak with him face to face. That God is saying, Moses sees God with the natural eyes. That God, this man can see me with the natural eyes, but the rest of the prophets do not. That we don't see him, that for most of humanity, or I would say nearly all of humanity, we don't have to see him with our natural eye to have an encounter with God. Because we cannot deny the fact that all the prophets had encounters with God. Jonah had an encounter with God. But oh gosh, I don't be Jonah. Amen. What an encounter. But we can't deny the fact that the prophets had encounters with God. And yes, God is saying that, listen, all the rest of this man, other than Moses and a few other, they're not going to see me with a natural eye. As born again Christians, we don't see with our eyes. This is the weakest of our sight tools, whatever you call it. Amen. I can't come up with a word for it. Amen. But this is actually the least of the things we need to use to see. It's the weak for us. This is our weakest tool of sight. That we see with the Spirit. How many times I, I was just speaking to Pastor Ellen last night and I was talking, <coughs> he mentioned one of the disciples in his church and I met this man for a short period of time. And I, as he spoke about this man, I said, yeah, he's a very good boy, very good spirit. He said, you met him? I said, yeah, when we were doing this and he's like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, he was there. I said, yeah, very good spirit. I said, yeah, very true. The guy's got a very good spirit. I don't know this boy from anywhere. <laughs> I can't even remember his name. <laughs> I can count the amount of times I've met him. But how? It's the seeing of the Spirit. That we see with our Spirit. That God, and when it comes to God, that God is so powerful. God is so great. God is so awesome that when He is near, there is no denying the fact that the most powerful tool of sight of all our Spirit can see Him more completely easily. And clearly, because it's a great God, it's a mighty God, it's a powerful God. It is like God grabs hold of our minds and says, this is me. It is an overwhelming presence of him. It is like he's standing in front of you and you can't see him with this. But you see him. 
And you can't deny the fact that he is there. And all we can do is bow before him. And it is not an emotion. The church world is full of emotional garbage. Who can say hill songs? <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of hype. And you see, Alice is all emotion. That's junk. And we'll go and do that a bit later. It's nothing. That's, no, no, no. What it's talking about in our text has, has very little to do with emotion. Because emotions will lie to us. Don't trust your senses. Don't trust this. <laughs> the early church leader, Augustine, was once stopped by a heathen who showed him the, the, an idol and said, Here is my God. Where's yours? Augustine looked at the man and replied, I cannot show you my God. Not because there's no God to show, but because you have no eyes to see. We see God with our spirit. I don't have very few people. We Moses being one of those. The rest of us, we see God with our spirit. People of other religions feel something. It's an emotion, but it's not God. Most Christians, sad to say, feel something, but it's not God. And our text will show us how we know it's not God. That is just an emotion. How do we know we have encountered God like Isaiah? How do we know someone has really met God? Yeah. Very easy. When He changes us. Yeah. Yeah. When He changes our outlook on things. When He changes our outlooks on life. When He changes us. I didn't feel anything the first time I sat down and was witness to, but I met God. Yes. I had an encounter with Him that changed me. Yeah. It caused me to put aside all my pride, all my scientific learnings and so on. I like science. I love science. Until now, I still like science. I love it. You know? But now it links with the gospel. You know? It caused me to put aside all that I had thought I had known before and start looking for the truth. It changed me. Same way when I was called to preach. I hate studying. Amen. I made it through 11 years of school, 10 years I made it without studying. I'm talented. I'm very good at copying. <laughs> the talent. There's a call to preach? Three times a week, my gosh. No, how much of studying involved? Just in writing a sermon. Forget about the Bible studies. <laughs> I don't want to preach. But you know what? It made me do something I did not want to do. Because I had an encounter with God. It changes us. When someone meets God, there will be change. This is how we know that many of those that have claimed to see, see have seen Jesus are lying through their teeth. Because you know them. And they have not changed. And when someone comes to you and says, I have seen Jesus, and there is no change in their life, slap them. Call them a liar. Now I tell them I ask you to do it. <laughs> Send them to me, I'll give them a slap on the other cheek. Because you know something? 
That's lies. Because when people encounter God, there is change. There's always been change. History and the word of God bears this out. Paul, when he met Jesus, was changed. I'm quite sure your pastor has shown those videos more than dreams. Have you showed it? The Muslim converts many, many years back. The series of videos, actual true stories of Muslims from around the world, five stories, different nations, who have never heard the gospel. There was nobody to witness to them and tell them about Jesus Christ. All Muslim nations, Muslim here. And they had an encounter with God. And it changed them. One was a terrorist. It changed them. They were all drastically changed. This is not some small change. But it's a drastic change. When someone meets Jesus, they're either going to change for the better. When someone meets God and sees God, they're going to change for the better or they're going to change for the worse. But they will never remain the same. Have you ever wondered why some people, after you witness to them, or sometimes they might come to church and they get saved, and then after a while later, you see them and they're my life, they're the devil incarnate. From being a normal person, they went to the other tangent. And you're like, what happened? He came to church, he was okay, he wasn't so bad before. Got saved, and then he backslid, and now it's like, my gosh. And, or you witness to them, and suddenly they're like, worse off. You know what happened? They had an encounter with God. And in that encounter with God, they denied him. They rejected that encounter. I don't want to have anything to do with this. And when they rejected him, they changed for the worse. Anybody who has seen God, who has an encounter with God, there will be change. Better or worse, but change. Isaiah, who was already a prophet, but after he, he had this encounter, he was lifted up to another level of ministry. It changed him. He starts prophesying to kings. He writes 60 other chapters of which there are numerous references to Jesus Christ. God does not want us to be the same. God likes change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever because he doesn't need to change. But we need to change. And he wants us to change. He needs us to change. Because in that change, there can be a drastic rise of our our lives to other higher levels of ministry. Where God can use us even more to do more. What a waste of Christianity. I see some Christians and they live this nominal Christian life. And I was like, what a waste. What a waste. To be able to impact history. Now let's look at. I was actually I just last Saturday I was in my uncle's place. He's the man that witnessed to my brother and me and our family. We got saved because of him. We were talking about something. I said, do you know something? Most people don't know who you are. 
But because of what he did, that's literally just to Ellen and me, thousands of people have heard the gospel. We preached everywhere. <laughs> How many people saved the, the lives that, that we impacted, that impacted other lives, and nobody knows him? But he impacted history, he's impacted lives. Because that's what God wants of us. That as we change, as, God, as something happens in us, there's a, gra- a drastic change, like Isaiah. That God says, okay, now I can do, use your life even more. To do even more for me. To have angry. It doesn't matter what people know. Who the heck cares what people know? If they don't know you, it doesn't matter. But do you know you've impacted history? Do you know? Because that's important. To know that, hey, my life has got meaning. That when we step into eternity, there will be a great cloud of souls there. It's like, hey, (laughs) you are. Thank you. Secondly, I want to look at seeing us. Verse 5 to 7. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from the altar. And he touched, it, touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. After we see God, we cannot help but see ourselves. Isaiah, as he has this vision, sees even deeper into his own life, into his own character, speaks of the tongue. Do you know something? You know what's the interesting thing about the tongue? The tongue is one of the last things people deal with completely. We get safe and we deal with it superficially. Deal with the glaring problems of the tongue. Cursing. And all the rubbish. Swearing. Temper. The glaring things. Ah, the whole world sees that. You see that. <laughs> we deal with that. But the smaller, less obvious problems with our tongue, with our speech, always seem to be dealt with later in our salvation. Maybe you didn't realize you were cynical. But later on, you had an encounter with God and suddenly you realized, my gosh, my words. I'm a cynical fool. No, I'm just saying it as it is. Now I'm full of unbelief. And when we have, and here's Isaiah has this encounter with God and he starts seeing it's like, man, the small things, it's there, I didn't know. Maybe it's gossip, who knows? Things have hidden themselves so well in us that we can clearly see now. I mentioned earlier, I like science. I've always liked it. 
And then, and I've all my screensavers, you know, it's either a lot of space stuff there. I got four screens, so there's a lot of space. <laughs> it was space. <laughs> it is Hubble Space Telescope when it was being built and was being launched. You know, and those days, of course, no internet, so you get it through the news or magazines and so on. And I was keeping track on how it was being built and all the mirrors and all that stuff and got launched. And it's, it's, an, it's actually an old piece of technology. But it's so amazing. It sees deep. It's still seeing deep into the universe. It sees galaxies that are 13 billion light years from Earth. There's not enough space on your phones for the amount of zeros involved if you want to put it in kilometers of 13 billion light years. Able to capture these amazing images of galaxies and distant stars. You go on the internet, you can go and you'll go on the internet. I'm quite sure you'll go back today and you'll look at it on your phones. <laughs> Hubble Space Telescope images and you'll see it. Yeah. And it's still finding new stuff. Yeah. It's like Star Trek. <laughs> new galaxies. <laughs> it sees what all the other telescopes or most other telescopes can't see. And God is that telescope that allows us to see deep into our hearts. God is better than the Hubble for our hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9-10, And the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his doing. It's only during these encounters that we have with God that those are those well-hidden sins revealed to us. Those things that are so deep in us, so far away, that others might not see it. But we see it. We can see it now. Because God sees it and He reveals it. And He shows it to us. I'm a man of unclean lips. God, I didn't know. It's there. I thought I was right with you. That's one of the things that was the issue with Job. Eh? There was some small things there. One very simple thing was he just thought he was too righteous to get into trouble, to have any problems in his life. And he questioned God. Verse 6 speaks of the red hot coal touching Isaiah's lips. You know, all your Wednesday night, so this is the crowd that, the faithful crowd. Amen. So you'll all have heard before about fire being used as a symbol of purification and cleansing. The Word of God. And even in life, anyone with a medical background, those days, you know, you, know, you, clean, you clean the needles and such with fire. It's actually still done in the field anyway. There are things in us which only God can help us with. That some of the sins in our lives, God gives us dominion and strength to work it out. You deal with it. I've given you the strength to deal with it. You deal with it. Throw away that ashtray. Throw away that lighter. A little wine is not good for the stomach. What the heck is wrong with your stomach? (laughs) Then you need wine. 
Most of the temptations, as, as they come our way, we just have to say no to it and take dominion over our own flesh and not give in to it. And to a certain extent, we play a major part in that cleansing. But yet there's other sins in us that we have no hope of dealing with on our own. That we have no hope of taking dominion over it. And we need God to cleanse it. Remove that iniquity. For me, it was alcohol, drugs, and cigarettes, and a lot of stuff. It's a long and not distinguished list. But I needed God. I couldn't do it because I did try it on my own. Even as a new Christian, born again Christian, I did try, but couldn't. I needed an encounter with God to cleanse, because there's some things that only God can remove from our lives. But we need to see God. So only in an encounter with God like this, that those can, sins can be removed. There are things in us which only during a supernatural encounter with God can it be removed. Can it be cleansed? Can we be set free from? And thirdly, I want to look at seeing people. Verse 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send him God. And all of you all are looking, where is that? Amen. Send me. The lesson in us, the more of God that dwells in us, the more of God in us, the more we have a heart closer to God. And the heart of God is for the lost souls. The heart of God is for souls. For most Christians, it's here am I, God, send him. But for the Christians, send her. But for the Christians that have had an encounter with God, they are the ones that say, here am I, send me. I will do it. Because now the heart is closer to God's heart. It's the same heart. The parable of the lost sheep in Matthew 18, Mark 2, Jesus refers how he's come to heal the sick throughout scripture over and over again. You see, it's God's heart for the lost. The parable of the prodigal son. It's about the lost. The backslidden. The new convert is practically lost because so much junk still in there. That's why witnessing is as important as prayer, as coming to church, as reading the Word of God. Anyone who has had an encounter with God and has been cleansed and have not rejected Him, this will be their heart. That's the heart of a person who has had an encounter with God. Here's a man that is already prophesying Isaiah. He's already prophesying. He's already telling people about sin. He's already spreading the word of God. And he's saying, send me. Yeah. Right. Adhir, you're already doing it. <laughs> Sounds like what you're doing, isn't it? No? And he's saying, send me. Because why? Something changed. 
What's happening now? His heart has been enlarged. He's believing God now for more souls. No more than just the souls in my village or my area or my city or my town or my nation. It's beyond. It's beyond this generation. You know the wonderful thing about Pastor Mitchell's, what he set in place. Was, it wasn't just for this generation. It was a vision that went beyond the world. To generations ahead. Those unborn. Let us set something in place. That will outlive us. And see those souls get saved. That's an enlarged heart. And heart that had an encounter with God. Here, my God, send me. I'm going to believe you, God, for more, God. Verse 9 shows us that this man has already encountered people's stubbornness. Because let's face the fact. Anybody's been on outreach? Nice, huh? Don't lie. <laughs> Give out ten, give out five flyers. If, ten flyers. If one person care, keeps it and doesn't throw it away, it's a victory already. <laughs> Leave out talking to them. Wow, today was a good outreach. How many people witnessed to? Ah, well, I spoke to one person. Praise God. Because you know something, people are stubborn. Bunch of donkeys, us included. Amen. We are on that list. But it's an, and sometimes that will get us so frustrated. Cause us to lose hope. Ah. Want to do the John Wick on them, no? Kill them, kill them all. <laughs> the Christian version is Elijah. God! Fire from heaven, God! And where's that sword? <laughs> But when we have this encounter, our hearts get softened again. And we believe God for those people who are just... We believe God for those that have, we've given up hope on before. Now mind, let me witness just one more time. Now mind, let me just be friendly with this person who doesn't deserve a friend. Because <laughs> maybe I can reach out to them. Let me just be nice to this obnoxious fool, prideful fool. Because maybe to that, something will change and they can get saved. Because when we see God, then we start seeing people. We see us and after that, we will see people. And that's what's happening to Isaiah. He's having hope again. Heart's been enlarged. That's what happened to Pastor Mitchell. When he went to Prescott, because he went to Prescott, <laughs> he'd been through some stuff by that time. If you've seen some of the, read some of the history of the fellowship. But then something happens. And he sees God. Something changes. And we have what we have. Without these encounters, we cannot keep reaching people effectively. That We'll get fed up, we'll get irritated, we start despising them. 
But God still wants us to touch them. Thank God He didn't give up on us. Thank God He didn't give up on me. I got saved December 28, 1997. So it happened to be my uncle's anniversary. And he was there in our place at that time. He's actually from Ipoh as well. And he was in KL at that time. He came, he came, back, he came, uh, came to the house. He came back home after that. And he's like, man, Adrian, I didn't expect you to get saved. I was like, ah, you witness to me for crying out loud. You've been speaking to me. Because <laughs> some people are just hard-headed fools. <laughs> but if you see God, had an encounter with God and you see yourself and you deal with the stuff there. You just start working with people like me. And it's like, well, I don't believe this person's ever going to get saved. But who knows? <laughs> who knows? God can move. God still wants to save them. Because how can we touch them if we despise them? You know why many Christians aren't so effective in their outreach or their witness? Because they despise the person they're outreaching to. And people can feel it. They don't really care. It's just words coming out. The right words! Not the right spirit. Not the right heart. And people sense that. How can we reach them if we despise them? And we will despise them if we don't have encounters with God. Because life will do that to us. How do we have these encounters with God? Very simple. Openness of heart. Isaiah had an openness of heart. Daniel in that vision had an openness of heart. Saul, killing Christians. Out of misplaced zeal. But he had a heart for God. Can't deny that. Misplaced. Thinking he was doing the right thing. But I had open heart for God. And it allowed God to show himself to Saul. And it changed him to the man we all know as the Apostle Paul. You know, I started drinking when I was 10. Some of you have heard that. I mean actual drinking, not the sip, sip, sip. No, just drink, really drink, drink. Okay. Alcoholic by I think 20. A lot of the time is a bit of a blur. I desperately wanted to stop. I was never able to. Ever. Tried. Tried it all. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, made a few shirts. <laughs> One Sunday morning, I'm in church with my usual hangover. And when I say usual hangover, it's because every day I had a hangover. My hangovers weren't on Sunday or Saturday. It was every day. And I'm in church and I remember sitting down, having a major, another hangover. And, and I cried out to God in my heart like, God. I was like, God, if you don't do something, I need you to move. If you don't deliver me, you don't set me free, I'm going to backslide. This is going to take me back to where I was before completely. You've got to do something. And I had an encounter with God. There was this presence and God 
this, this, suddenly there was this overwhelming presence and just God spoke in my heart from this moment on, you are no more bound by this sin, you are set free. That's all. That's the powerful presence of God and those words spoken to the heart. And I was. From that day, never had an overwhelming over desire for Alcohol ever again. People can get drunk in front of me. It doesn't matter. People can get drugs. I think he did it was drugs, but alcohol was a more major issue. It doesn't, doesn't affect anymore. Why? Because during that encounter with God, the coals touched. The red hot coals. Burnt away. Cleansed. Removed. Healed. Covered that wound. Because that's what a red-hot coal will do to a wound. Yeah. It'll burn away this, this thing and it will cauterize it. Thank you. <laughs> Revelation 3.20 Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. We always use this text. We've got all those pictures with Jesus at the door there. You know, the interesting thing of that picture is there is no door knock. <laughs> Those days they didn't have a door knock, but you just open it. <laughs> because that's what this text is actually talking about. I stand at the door and knock. Only you can open it. <laughs> look at that picture. Most people didn't realize it. Go and look at that picture and find the door knock. If you see one with a doorknob, that means that's not the original. <laughs> Some other idiot got to it and modified it. Maybe a Democrat. <laughs> but there is no doorknob. I stand at the door and knock. You have to open the door. It's an openness of heart that allows God to come in that we can see him. He's always there. He's always knocking. But can we hear him knocking? And open? We're going to be like Saul and Daniel and Isaiah and many others. That God can reveal himself to us. We must open it up to him. And his promise is this. If we open up our hearts to him, he will come in. He will reveal himself to us and all else falls into place. I like every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around. <laughs>